Hi, Chi. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm all right. So we have Francisca here. We met at the AWEC um, GA. Yeah. Hi, Francisca. Hi, Hilda. How are you doing? I'm good. So, Francisca, um, Hilda and I started the Empower Women around 2017. And we just wanted a way to empower women in Africa. So our podcast, we started it last year. And basically, we've just been touching on various topics um, just to find a way of reaching more um, of our audiences in terms of advice around areas such as finance, um, corporate leadership, and all those type of areas. So, yeah, welcome, Francisca. Thank you, Jeza. I'm looking forward to talking to you, ladies. Yes, we, we're, so, we're so happy to have you here. We're very, very honored. So I think we can just start by you telling us about Francisca, about your background, you living in Zimbabwe, then moving to the States, and, you know, if you want to share a bit, a bit about your family life as well. Okay. Thank you. So my name is Francisca Tsuro, and I'm Zimbabwean, but currently residing in the U.S., I have five siblings, two sisters, and three brothers. I, we are all over the place. Uh, my sister, one of my sisters is in South Africa, and the other one is in the, in Australia. And then um, my two brothers are in Zimbabwe, and my other brother is in South Africa. And I grew up in Arare, and I lived in Warren Park. And I also have strong ties with my village people, we frequently visited my grandparents during the holidays. And um, I mean, when I was growing up, right? And both my parents are still alive. I grew up in an environment that allowed me to be close to my relatives from both sides of the family. And the relationships are not as tight as they used to be because of the distance, but we still, I mean, communicate a lot with my cousins, my mother's sisters, my father's uh, sisters and brothers, we, I still think we are very close. And I, I went my high school, I went to Christian Mambo from Form 1 to A-level. And then after that, I started working um, for, for City Council. Uh, back in Zimbabwe, City Council, when I was, and I was not pursuing anything at that time. But soon after, I joined uh, UNICEF, an international labor organization. And during that time, I started pursuing a degree in accounting through University of South Africa. And that's my life, uh, my life story on, I mean, in a nutshell. And then on my I mean, do you have any questions before I proceed to my education qualifications? And no, I... you can proceed. Okay. So I have a bachelor of degree in accounting, right? And I'm also a certified public accountant um, in two different states. That is Maryland and Virginia. I also hold a project management professional certification. I have over 15 years of experience in external audit, advisory, consulting, and then also financial reporting, microfinance, and also grant proposal writing. Ooh, so I love that. <laughs> I love the grant proposal writing. We're always trying to do grants, some of us. 
I know it, it's a lot of work, but mm. I mean, yeah, you have to really put your mind to it because you need a lot of information to put and summarize and put down on a paper before you can even submit your proposal. Yeah, so um, just just talk to us more on your qualification, um, Francisca, in terms of your CPA. Did you do that in Zimbabwe or then you did that in America? Because I, I heard you talking about you hold it in two different states. Um, also, what led you to make that decision? Because I know you could also do the CA route, you could do the CIMA route. There's a lot of routes that you could have taken regarding your accounting qualifications. So I would say, so my CPA is from, from the U.S. And when I was still in Zimbabwe, uh, like I said, I, was pursue, I pursued my degree. I completed my degree, right, with uh, the BCOMS, with the University of South Africa. And I was connected to the ITES people and all the people that were, I mean, I had a lot of friends that were working in public accounting. So my goal was actually to pursue the CA. And I was preparing for my, my CTA exams. That's when I relocated to the U.S. and I really, I was really passionate about accounting, and I guess that's what I've been taught to pursue when I was back home. And I continued with my journey when I came here. So the other route was to pursue the certified public accounting, because we don't have the chartered accountant uh, route here in the U.S. So that's why I pursued this CPA. Oh, that's actually interesting. I didn't know you didn't have chartered accounting in the U.S. Um, I learn yeah, something every day. Yeah. <laughs> no, we don't, unfortunately. Yeah. No. Oh, okay. Okay. So, in terms of um, your career, what what would you say has been the most difficult, um, the most challenging? aspects of it, especially maybe as a woman and maybe as a black woman in America as well? Okay, I would say, I mean, having qualifications can help you jumpstart your, your career, right? They'll get you, I mean, your feet at the door, and that's it. And being a, a woman in the US, it has, I mean, it's kind of challenging, especially in public accounting. Uh, like I said, I gradu after graduating, I started working for a small consulting firm um, whilst I was still pursuing my, my CPA, right? Mm -hmm. So my clients were mostly not-for-profits, and I remember getting all excited at a client site after I learned that I'd passed my, the, last pass the last part of the CPA exam. And we were in the middle of an audit, and I was communicating with these auditors, and it was a regional firm providing all the supporting documents they needed. And I remember one of the partners, she was a lady from Greece. She came to me, she was like, are you interested in joining the firm? You know, like pursuing audit altogether and leave all this consulting business. And I mean, this was because she heard me getting all excited for passing my exam, right? And also, mm -hmm. I think they were trying to promote uh, women and bringing them to the firm. Because I would say in the US, I mean, as much as we, we don't want to admit it, it's more like a boys club and get, I mean, breaking the barriers of getting into public accounting. I mean, it's the school you went to, right? They start recruit, recruiting from colleges. 
So I was excited. I was lucky. And I, I joined in. And it was, not, it was not easy, you know. I mean, one, I'm in, uh, I'm in minority. <laughs> Two, I'm working with all these uh, white people, right? And most of them, they, they have ties from college or their parents knew the partners, all those small little things. It, it can be hard. I remember walking in, it was just the two of us, me and another Nigerian guy. So you have to work extra hard, right, to get recognized and putting in the work and getting all the clients that you don't like. Because, I mean, some of them would say, I'm not traveling. And all those clients they don't want to work with, you end up being on those, um, supporting those clients. But I never gave up. It was more like building your network, still connect. I mean, connecting with people. And Zimbabweans, we are known for working hard, right? And meeting the deadlines, doing whatever it takes to get the job done. So I think that kind of helped me as well, my work ethic. Wow. And, you know, on that note, because most of the time when people actually go to diaspora, mainly they pursued um, a, a nursing or social work. But you went and you chose accounting. And I know because I was in Australia and I did accounting, how difficult it would be. Do you have any advice on how you can probably stand out to actually get into the big big firm or even just any firm because I actually started off with a smaller firm then went on to a bigger mm -hmm. firm once I had um, experience. So would you have any advice on how you probably would stand out over an American, like you said, that already has all the connections from high school, university, ETC? So I would say... I would recommend, like, I mean, in the U.S., we do have a lot of organizations. Like, for, for example, here, there's National Association of Black Accountants. And these organizations are promoted even in schools, right? And the college that I went to, University of um, Maryland, we had that group. And a lot of firms, they come to, to colleges. And they start recruiting for, and they want you to, to do internship, right? <clears throat> and what I've noticed with a lot of um, our African, um, it's not just Zimbabwe per se, but all the African continent, if they don't know anything, they want to pursue their education. Some of them, they don't have, they have to work after, I mean, during the day or at night so that they can pay for their school fees, right? They don't have anyone paying for those fees. So they don't have time to really go and participate in these organizations and they don't have time to also pursue unpaid internship. So like, for example, I, when I moved from, when I started working for, for the big four, I, and I ended up participating in those groups and going to these schools, different schools, because each and every uh, firm, they target certain schools. So if I knew there were a lot of um, minorities, I would go and speak, right? And advise them to start working towards um, getting employed. That is, you start with your internship. You'll be surprised that in the U.S., most of our first year, um, our first year in um, audit associates, they are recruited during the internship. Like the, during their second year, when you intern with us, if they like you, they would just um, 
extend their offer letters. And by the time you graduate, you already have a job. But for an African child, most of them, they don't have that opportunity, right? Mm -hmm. Because they don't know. So these organizations have kind of helped to open those doors for the minorities so that they can join uh, the, the big four at the beginning of their careers. So I've been so, heavily involved and I participate in those, trying to encourage um, the, uh, the international students to join as well. Um, yeah, that's, that's really good that you do that. Um, do, they, do you then need to have citizenship to, to then um, do any internships or they do take you if you, let's say, on an international visa or student visa? So with the U.S., when you're on a student visa, um, as soon as you graduate, you are given a year, right, to work in the U.S. And whilst you figure it out. So the big four, they, they hire international students as long as your, your visa is still valid for internships. And if they really, really like you, you can work so hard. You can, after working so hard, they will sponsor you for the green card. And or even for the HB1 visa where you're allowed to work in the US. So you find that most of the schools where international students go to, they have that program where they invite colleges to, uh, to start recruiting for internship. Well, that's, that's actually great because in Australia, I'm sure Chiedza would know um, the internship opportunities at Big four firms, you needed to be either a citizen or, or a resident. Or a resident. So in second year, when these things were being opened, these opportunities were being opened, it was sort of limiting to Australians and permanent residents. Oh, okay. I'm 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 even surprised. But there's yeah. a catch. I would say there's a catch. You really have to be exceptional, right? Mm, yeah. yeah, like besides your academics, what else do you do outside, outside school? Are you involved in communities? Do you volunteer? And because I think what they really want to see is how do you relate to, to people? It's more like, I mean, public accounting is more like customer service. You're working with different people different nationalities, different uh, firms, right? Beat health and everything. So that groundwork can help you. So we, as international students, they don't have that, I mean, you know, like that extra time to volunteer because what you're thinking of is making money to pay for your fees, right? But we have to shift from that mentality, like, okay, there are sacrifices that need to be made. As much as you want to pay for your fees, what are you going to do after graduating? So that's when you see a lot of students scrambling because they have that one-year period. But because they didn't have an internship, a lot of these big four, they hire, like, they hire their interns, right? Because they've worked with them. They've seen their work ethic. They like them. It's more like, I mean, how much do you like somebody? How do, would you hire a stranger or you hire somebody you can relate to? So those are the small things that I think we really have to help all the international students to shift their mindset. Like as much as you want to make money, you also still have to make some sacrifices so that you can open doors as you, as you move forward in your career. 
I actually love that that you that yeah. you actually brought that point up, Francisca, because um, a lot of people just think great academics. I think even now, as I am even navigating in terms of my business, there's a lot of other things I've had to do outside of my business to win mm-hmm. contracts, probably such as playing golf or attending so many networking events and ETC. So I do like that, how you, you're saying that it's important that you volunteer or attend other community services, because also you also can meet other people from the big four firms doing those extracurricular activities. But I know how people are always scrambling for the fees. So I don't know how they'd be able to, to, to strike the balance there. What would be your advice? So striking the balance, I mean, I would say, I mean, it's not easy as an international student, right? But there's also scholarships for minorities. And I don't think a lot of international students know about those scholarships if you are coming in with, I mean, without scholarships. And most of our international students, they come from average families. And the families cannot afford to send, I mean, to pay for the fees, right? But, I mean, if you're working on weekends, you can still try to participate in after-school events and just getting to know people. It's hard. And I went to um, a mission school. It was not a group A school. And we, all we were taught was to just focus on your education. No, you know, like sports, it was more like a hobby. We didn't really zone into that like okay if you like this type of sport can you really pursue into it right there was nothing like that I mean everyone expected me to pass my all my all levels and a levels and I didn't have that groundwork and also limitations I I would say for group a schools I can't speak for group a schools because I'm I mean I didn't go to a group a school but for group b schools everyone is being taught to have your five four levels do something and no one is even teaching you about other careers that you can pursue if you're not strong in academics, right? So we ended up scrambling. We don't have that. uh, We don't have it in in us a way to, I mean, to be socially effective going out and talking to people because one, we have a cultural difference. So you have to put yourself out there. So that's what I always try to explain to most of the international students like I understand you're coming from a different country you have an accent so what show your authentic self I I mean I still have an accent even after living in this country for a very long time but I'm still proud of who I am I'm Zimbabwean first before I am even I can even relate to all these Americans my kids were born here right and they still know that my their mother is still Still values that little that culture, and when you show your authentic self to people, they try to get to know you better as well. Because I mean, you can't fake a culture that you didn't grow up in, as much as you try, and you always been an outsider. So you embrace that, like okay, fine, I'm coming to you guys. I'm coming from another country. I know a different culture, but the fact that you can come into a country and break. Into their, you know, into their social circles. That says a lot. You can work with them. The fact that you were able to even come here as an international student by yourself and fend for yourself. 
I still believe you can still do a lot, right? But we lack that confidence. We don't have that confidence. So I think that's something that we really need to teach our kids, our sisters, our brothers back home. Like, it doesn't matter where you come from. You can still do greater things if you work hard. How long have you been in the States, Francisca? Just out of curiosity. I came here 2006. So how, how many years? 16, wow. 17? Yeah. Wow, that's a long time. That's a long time. <laughs> yeah. That's a long time. Yeah, you're probably more American than you are Zimbabwean because now just there's a, there's a lot of culture shift in terms of when you are working mm-hmm. and how people are working here. You know, I think there's a lot of frustration here in terms of job opportunities and even in terms of growing in your career. I think some people have stressed that they've been in the same position for the last nine, 10 years because the problem that we're having is people are also not retiring. So it's obviously not opening up opportunities for the younger people to then get into more senior roles, I suppose. But, you know, there's the one or two that do stand out. And um, I think it also just, you've touched on that, just being exceptional, just being your authentic self. And, you know, just how would you then just separate yourself for that, you know? I would say, I mean, mean, so my Zimbabwe is different from your Zimbabwe, right? Are way different now. Yeah. So soon college, I found a job. I mean, soon after A levels, I found a job with no qualification. Mm. Right? In the city council. It was during that, you know, like the voters for all they wanted people to help with that. But I managed to go back to school because I didn't have enough points for me to qualify to go to to University of Zimbabwe, right? But I still I was still passionate. I wanted, I still wanted my degree. So there was UNISA, University of South Africa, where I could pursue what I wanted. And I could go for an interview. There were times, you know, in, I know you, you won't believe me when I tell you, you could apply for a job from the Herald and get called for an interview and actually get hired with no connections at all. Mm. Yeah, so it was pretty straightforward. Like when I worked for UNICEF, I was a local staff. Um, I started, I was in more like a financial system because I was already pursuing my, my degree, right? So it was so much easier to walk in and, and have those uh, opportunities. So I would say being exceptional, it's good in an environment that allows you to do that. But right now, the, I mean, the way the situation is at home, we have people who have graduated, we have never worked in their life. How do you then um, motivate a person like that? They have a degree, but they have never worked. They've, they don't know how the, the working environment is like. So I think we really need to change our mindset. And um, I mean, with you, Chiesa, you came in. Because remember, I was, I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe we went back home. <laughs> but you are running a business. You had a different mindset. Because yeah. when you left, when you went to Australia, you realized that there are a lot of opportunities. But how do I mean, I think we really need to help uh, the younger people right now. Like, okay, what can you do? 
how do we help you to start something? But everyone is an entrepreneur in Zimbabwe. So who do you sell the products to? Yeah, I, I, I don't know about everyone being an entrepreneur. Maybe it's just mm-hmm. out of nothing else is there because the way that even the businesses are conducted, you sometimes wonder, like, okay, like what's going on? But I think for me, my main issue with the current group of maybe um, people that are graduating lately, I don't know, they do want Gen Z. Um, there's a bit of sense of a bit of laziness. I think I don't because like I, I I've noticed even when I work with people, right? Um, the older the generation is, the the harder they work. But the younger ones, they generally do not want to work. So, you know, um, I don't know how we can, because I know one one way you have to work hard. Honestly, we can't put that aside. So it's almost now we're seeing this social media that you can almost attain anything. And now they're just thinking that's what's happening and they don't really have to. Like when I'm dealing with an older person, I can do this, do that, no problem. But a younger person, it's almost as if I'm asking them to go to Mars and come back, you know. <laughs> But who do you blame for that? Now, that's the thing. Who do we then blame? And the older how do generation. Because I, I, I looked at it, I was like, are these guys going to be our leaders, let's say, in the next 50 years, for example? Who's going to be a president with that type of mentality and that type of attitude? It's because it's um, the generation, the older generation, most of them, they grew up with nothing. Yeah. So they overcompensate for their kids once they start, I mean, when they become successful, they are not training their children, you know, the basics of, of life, of, of, I mean, like working hard. It's okay. I love spoiling my kids and it's good. We can spoil them. But what are you teaching those kids? Mm. What's mm. going to happen to them in the future? And also, I think in schools, there's that, I, I don't think there's still that sense of um, ownership. Mm. are we teaching our kids or the students what they need to do to prepare them for the outside world we were taught that you know i mean when you i'm you guys are younger than me way younger than me but i'm i would want to believe that even when you were in school you were being taught to i mean to have a like some sense of self-respect but right now, even the teachers, they are not even teaching the kids. They are busy hustling, at, right? Trying yeah. to make a living. Yeah. yeah. So there's, yeah, there's no curriculum. I've seen all these schools coming up from nowhere. But it's mm. more like a business making, I mean, money making business. Yeah. 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 yeah that's true. Yeah, and you know, like I was talking to my cousin the other day, um, he was saying his son was being bullied at school. I think his son is like grade one or grade two. And he just said, you know what, you you literally just have got to stand up for him. I went to the teacher and I did this. I'm not teaching my son to be a man. And that's the other problem that we are having is that the men out there are literally not men. It's almost like the women (laughs) are stepping into the role of men because (laughs) once again, I think the mothers have really overcompensated and we we generally have a big problem. Yeah, I think that's where, yeah, I know in back home, I don't know how we can address that. Like I said, you are coming, you, you were also, you lived outside the country where yeah. kids, even if they have, they have everything, 
they start working at 16. Yeah, yeah. Or, yeah, you know, all these food outlets. As soon as they turn 16, they can get employed and make their money and make decisions. So that's teaching a child a life skill, a simple life skill. We don't have that in our community. But, you know, Francisca, you can even start in the home. Like, if your son does the dishes you can give them like pocket money or if they if your daughter like washes the car i don't know they could give them because i've also seen like yeah there's that sense of entitlement because now kids are phones at like what at six years old the child has got like a smartphone an iphone and you know so that's more a parental thing and more mm. like social status because right. i have yeah like i can tell you i have friends back home and I, when I call them, they're telling me my kids, they can't even speak Shona. And I'm like, yeah. you're in an environment yeah. where you can yeah. promote this language. Why can't you make an effort? I mean, for, for people that are outside the country, I speak in But Shona even in, in the country, people can't speak Shona in Zimbabwe, Francisca. So that's what I'm saying to you. Like, I'm talking about Zimbabwe. Outside okay, the yeah. country, it can be hard because the kids are spending so much time out, I mean, in schools, right? Mm. and you are you are not you are not at home my kids can understand they can't speak but they understand because my parents are here they help as well but so that's means something is wrong with us as a country because if you shy away from the basic things right like you can't even teach your child your basic native language then there's a problem and what value is it adding to your kids when you give a six-year-old a smartphone, what are they going to do with a smartphone? Yeah. I mean, it, a tablet or a computer, I know we, we, live, we are now living in an environment where everything is done on computers, right? You are teaching, if you give them a tablet to learn like educational things, that's fine. But a smartphone, what is that? What, what, what value is it adding to a six-year-old? So we as parents... We haven't, I mean, I think we, there's an era somewhere where we are overcompensating for the things that we didn't have. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. do think, I do think um, that's, that's a huge problem. And yeah, um, I don't even know how to address it. Um, it's, it's, it's a challenge for sure. Yeah. It's a challenge for the whole nation because the old, I mean, the older generation, we're overcompensating and why I'm so old school. Why do I have to pay my child to do the dishes again? That's a chore that they're supposed to learn, a life skill. To learn. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. a life skill. I can't pay you. We live in the same house. We help each other. Yeah. And you pay the fees. <laughs> exactly. <Yes>. So, <laughs> yeah, I think we need to change our mindset. And I know the social media has really destroyed the cultural the cultural norm where yeah. everyone thinks like being a slave queen pays being a yeah. youtuber pays but they don't realize that it takes a lot of effort to create that persona that you can show on social media because they are not like that all the time but you can't no. teach that to a child who is a, a 10 year old you know they don't understand but you guys you understand like no this is just for the, I mean, for the likes and everything, but it's not the person, the real person that you're dealing with on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, I've seen um, some some places they've even getting, teenagers are getting depression because of all these, the social media pressure, really. 
yeah it's really sad yeah um just Francisca um on that note I know you're a mentor with AWIC what's what's the importance of having a mentor in your life I'd like to hear your thoughts on that because I think even the younger people if they actually get good mentors some things that they might not necessarily be taught at home or at school they can learn from a mentor you know so for me, the mentorship program, I still think it's more like a giving and taking where I expect a mentee to come to me with all these goals, right? Like, okay, this is what I need from you. And then I'm spending my time providing you the guidance of the things that you need. So when you have mentorship, I mean, it's somebody you look up to most of the time, right? But I mean, the AWIC program is kind of different. It's, it's very strategic. Uh, given your skills, your experiences and everything. Like, for example, for me, I'm more, I normally get mentees that needs help with uh, strategic planning or with uh, any financial related items, like how to run their business in such a way that it's open to, I mean, for them to, to get like a business loan, like just being organized. So it starts with all those small little things about your financial uh, how you run your financials, right? So for, for just getting into a mentorship program, identify the person that you like in a normal environment that you can relate to, that you think can help you grow to the next level. It's, I mean, some relationships, they'll work. Some relationships will not work. But that I don't believe you, you have to stop just because it didn't work with the person that you thought you'd be connected to. And also, when you're seeking mentorship, do it for the right reasons. Don't just do it for the connections, because at times I think we forget. Like, okay, I know this person, and I think they can get me to the next level. That's more like taking advantage of somebody. Take time to get to know the person at a personal level, build a relationship, and everything else will flow into place. Like, once I know that I can trust you, I mean, as my mentee, and I know that you're focused on certain things, it's become so much easier for me to introduce you to the next person, right? Because I don't want a situation where I introduce you to the right people, and then you don't have the same integrity that I have that also tarnishes my name. So be intentional when you're seeking mentorship, because there's a lot to learn. And there's a lot also to give and also to take. So be authentic. Be authentic. Take time to get to know each other. Seek advice. If it means setting up time to go through a lot of things, do that. Be consistent. Uh, yeah, I love that. So would you recommend someone getting a mentor in, in their career, in their business journey? What would be your thoughts? So in a business environment, a men uh, having a mentor is fine, but I would say you need a sponsor because we spend so much time talking about mentorship. Mentorship is about building a relationship and trying to get connected to other people or to the resources that you don't have access to, right? But when you have a sponsor, there's a difference. A sponsor is somebody who is willing to take the bullet for you, like in the corporate world, they will be able to mention your name when you're not around. 
like for example you know the big four when you have a sponsor like a partner or somebody else they will talk about positive things or even in an in a corporate world like they if there's an opportunity that is coming up they'll be able to talk about who you are what you can bring to the table but you don't just get a sponsor you earn they would you know like they would take a shot at you like okay this person can i mean they can do it that comes back to that authentic self what are you bringing to the table how can i help you to get to the other level so mentorship is amazing it's great but not all mentors can sponsor you but when you get that sponsorship like for example with you you are running your business right do you have that sponsor that can help you to get to the next level to connect you to like for example those big organizations like Qualcomm and everything that's what you need mentorship is great it's amazing i don't want to lie to you you learn a lot but make sure you are also seeking for sponsorship as you move forward with your business being your career or anything else yeah actually i i actually get you on that one and i actually never thought of it that way i don't know he'll do that you there yeah yeah i yeah i think it's yeah as a business owner definitely mentorship is important but the sponsorship is very yeah critical. because yeah like you really need someone who's opening up those doors for you at, at those yeah. and i actually have because why i actually asked you i don't think i have a mentor francisca i mean <laughs> i talk to a lot of people but <laughs> if i've got one person who's account i don't have that person who's accountable for any of the decisions i made and i remember part of the away i discussed it was important for my business to have a board of directors and you know there's just all these things that people talk about that are just important for your business but i don't even know if they are critical in terms of me growing my business you know because i said oh, would i be able to sustain this relationship where i'm meeting with someone every maybe month or quarter or whatever you've said but you know it was just a difficult thing because i i actually don't have mentors so yeah <laughs> Yeah, it's but good. I mean, you have a circle, mm-hmm. right? Your circle of friends. They yes, can, yes, yes. So I definitely have a provide circle of people that I talk to. Yeah. Sorry? They can provide mentorship. They actually, they're providing mentorship indirectly. You are talking, you're sharing, yeah. Yeah, you're sharing ideas. The people that you can trust. The people that you can easily go to. Right. Yeah, because when I've got like different problems, I was like, okay, let me call this one or let me call this one, you know, but like I'm saying, I don't have like an accountability person who, you know, this is my mentor. I can say, oh, yeah, Francisco, no, not really. But I do believe my business has actually grown from those indirect mentors and the couple of sponsors that I, I think I have. Yeah. So mentorship Which is great. I love it and but you don't have to over extend yourself just because you need mentorship yeah. and i think it works a lot better in a corporate world but when you are running your own business at times i mean does it really ha- i mean you already have the mentors like your friends or your anybody that you can look up to that you can go to for and seek advice so that's that's good but in a corporate environment it's fine because you 
meshed with somebody else and you can connect. If it doesn't work out, you move on to another person. But I, I would say, for me, my biggest thing is to get sponsorship. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, um, no, Francisco, we're very honored to have you here. I've actually noticed something. Hilda is also at EY. You worked at EY before. Oh. So maybe you guys can connect <laughs> on your EY. Oh, my God. Where, in Zimbabwe or somewhere else? Malawi. Oh, yeah, Malawi. Okay, that's yeah. good. She's EY Malawi. Finally. Currently battling with um, fatigue, but we're getting there. Oh, my God. Are you in consulting or audit? I'm in tax advisory. Oh, okay. That, uh, that time of the year, you guys are crazy. Yes. yes. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So why don't you join EY? I mean, AWEC. Why didn't you join AWEC? Actually, my mom joined AWEC, and I was more like helping her throughout the program, you know, giving her ideas here and there. But I was more like a shadow to her, but she really did push really hard, even on those days that she wanted to give up. And I I would honestly recommend AWIC to a lot of people. She really benefited from the program. Okay, that's good. I mean, for yeah. you, because I know EY provides... So I joined AWEC through EY. So there was an African group, African network group um, within EY. I, I don't know if you guys have networks, different networks like the Latinos. Okay, in the US we have African, the Latinos and everything. So they had mm-hmm. all these programs where they were trying to uh, foster in African countries like imaging markets and everything. And there was another piece for this, for for providing mentorship. So they reached out. They were like, are you interested in this? And I said, I'm, I'm interested. And that's how, I, that's how it all started. So they actually have a group. If you can, I, you know where you can, I don't know in, in Malawi, but it's global. EY is very global. Mm-hmm. They do have where you can volunteer from here in the US to, to provide your support to different not-for-profits. You can even go to a different country for three months. Yeah, uh, I think it's called EY Ripples. Yes, exactly. Yes, yeah. So yeah, that yeah. was part of this as well. Oh, okay. Yeah. So if you look it up, I, I don't know, or you can reach out to Susan because yeah. she, she was the real driver for this. Oh, that's great. Uh, Susan Broom, yeah. I'll definitely look into it. Yeah. You, you need because I think Hilda, that would be good for you to grow your your, yeah, your career. It would. Your... it would actually most of the EY Ripples programs, mentorship programs that have come up are big in South Africa. Well, for yes. the Africa region, EMEA, it has been South Africa, but yeah, I'll look into it definitely. Yeah, exactly. So you can look into that because I remember just before the pandemic. Um, I was supposed to go to Kenya for like two months to help with one of the programs. Mm. Yeah, that but uh, be- I left because I was drained. <laughs> oh. well, thank and, you so much. I'll definitely look into that. Yeah. 
Unity. Francisco, we're so honored to have. I know our time is up, and we would Thank love you. to continue this conversation. <laughs> yeah, we can go on <laughs> for another hour. On and on and on. But we just wanted to ask if you had like parting words for our listeners, for those who are looking to grow their corporate career, looking to grow their businesses. Um, anyone who's probably just not feeling up to it lately, whatever advice you would have. I would say uh, for, the, for those in the corporate world, uh, be, like I said, I keep on saying this, be, be authentic self. When you go uh, to work, make sure that you are leaving your footprints. You want to be known for doing the right thing and also for producing results. That your authentic self, your work ethic will take you places uh, besides the networking and everything. They will remember you. Be known for something. What are you good at? Ask yourself those questions like, okay, what do I really need to pursue for me to go to a different level? And then for the small business people, I would say, depending on where you are in your business and which country you live in, I still think that being loyal to your customers and also delivering your products timely will take you places because there's nothing more effective and more important is the word of mouth. You know, it can ruin or grow your, your, your business, right? If people believe in you and understand that you can uh, really deliver what they need, you see yourself, your business growing because people will talk, uh, great things will will prophesize your business, you know, to all other people. Like this is this person, you can easily work with them. And the word of the word of mouth is really great too. Oh yeah, I, I I'm one person who's actually grown my business from word of mouth. Like the number of people that just call me, I hear you have pork, I hear you have pork. <laughs> I've actually got to the extent that I don't even ask because yeah I'm just like they might have even gone there from a stranger so I I am one person who would definitely say that has really helped my business by being honest reliable and you know just delivering good customer service to my clients because I have had so much referrals that it's been crazy for me thank you so much we have been so honored to to have you on the empowered woman podcast i hope you can join us again soon uh sorry hilda go ahead we really had a good time with you we learned a lot and i'm sure our listeners can pick up so many nuggets from this episode Thank you so much, uh, Hilda and Chiesa. I really appreciate um, your time and inviting me to your podcast. I hope uh, people are listening and also taking advantage of our recommendations. Thank you. All right. Thanks so much. And have a wonderful day and afternoon to you, Hilda. Afternoon to you too. Cheers. (laughs) Bye. Bye.